Have you heard the acronym GOAT? It stands for the greatest of all time. It's an expression that dates back to 1992. Lonnie Alley, Muhammad Ali's wife, incorporated greatest of all time to consolidate and license her husband's intellectual properties. But I would argue the debate over who's the greatest of all time has been raging since the beginning of time. What sports fan doesn't love to declare and defend who and why? The reality is there isn't a greatest of all time, but there's a handful of players who are beyond comparison. They stand out for their prowess, their performance, their grace, their humility. My guest today is part of that club. And it's in, off the post! Christine Sinclair ties the match! Christine Sinclair, Captain Fantastic! Christine Sinclair! One of the greatest soccer players of all time and one of the world's most respected and admired athletes. She's the top international goal scorer of all time. She's the heart of any team she plays on. Proud to say she's from Canada. For one of the absolute best to ever do it, certainly the best Canada has ever seen. All that I could think of was just hit the net, just like hit the target. Christine Sinclair deserves to rest on her laurels, cash in on her celebrity, take her place in her history books. But her time as an athlete is far from over, nor is the cause that burns passionately inside her to create equality in sports and beyond. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Christine Sinclair, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Hey, thanks for having me. So you just published your memoir, Playing the Long Game, which you wrote with Stephen Brent. And the opening quote says, talking about myself is never being something I like to do. But you chose to talk about yourself this time. Why? Opportunity was presented after Tokyo. And then, yeah, Stephen made it as painless as possible and promised that it would be a positive experience. And then I'm honestly just sick of there just being like male role models for young kids to look up to. Uh, I looked up to Robbie Alomar and it's about time there's like women on the bookshelves. The only thing I challenge is the title. As much as it it is a memoir in terms of your accomplishments, I would argue that more than anything else, it's what you're talking about. It's a bold call to action, the level of playing field for whoever wants to compete. So it's curious that, again, the title was memoir, but to me, it's more about a motivation and a call to action. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both in there. Obviously, it details my career and family life and things like that. But yes, towards the end, it definitely is a call to action yeah, just not being done. If you could wave that magic wand and get the world to wake up to the realities of the inequalities, what would that world be like? I think it's just opportunities and exposure. But I, I mean, it's not just a sports problem. But obviously, I've lived it through sports. I'd like to see a world here in Canada where there's professional environment for women to play in. There's two in the men's side of the game, none for the women. Uh, obviously, there's like pay. It's just opportunities also. And you talk about, which I was really taken aback because how much we're admiring and loving women's soccer in Canada. But you said, you know, you're one of the fortunate ones. There's still people playing on our team that have to work at other jobs. Why is that? Like, why aren't we at a position in a country as rich as Canada where our elite athletes can really focus on that higher purpose and chasing their dream versus having to take a step back at times just to finance it? Yeah, I think... Now we're at a point where everyone on the national team is professional and that's their job. That's all they do. So times have changed. But for the longest time, not just in Canada, it was everywhere. Being a female soccer player usually meant you were coaching on the side or you were, you know, 
held down a second job. I've had teammates that like worked at coffee shops and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, here with the national team and now professionally, you know, obviously I'm in the U.S. That's changed, and now it's it's definitely your job and your full time job. Finished off in style by the evergreen Christine Sinclair. Do you think there's room for professional soccer like you're playing in the States and Canada? I have to believe the fact that this, with, especially with the immigrants coming to this country, soccer is going to surpass hockey in our lifetime as the most popular sport. It already has. There'd be some Leaf fans that might argue, but I agree with Just you. Just in terms of kids signing up and things like that, it's by far the most popular sport in our country. But yes, I think there's definitely room for a professional league here in Canada. Yeah, I think you have to be realistic with it. I mean, I've lived through two leagues in the U.S. Both of them started in bare, with bare bones. And to think that right off the bat, you're going to be the MLS, uh, I mean, that's an unfair assessment. So I think there is room. And it's, yeah, it just needs to be given time to grow and develop. So Christine, I want to go back to your early days in Burnaby, British Columbia, two incredible parents that you talk about. And you credit your parents and grandparents for a lot of who you are. Share with us what life was like growing up there and why did these role models become such important, you know, compasses for the world you've traveled? I grew up in a very athletic family uh, with my parents, my brother, aunts, uncles, cousins. So sports was just kind of what we do and it continues to be that way. My parents, my grandparents, it was all about family first, realizing that, you know, I play a I play a sport, like I play a game for a living, and not to get too high, not to get too low. Yeah, there's bigger things in the world, more important things in the world. Don't get me wrong, they were my biggest supporters and biggest fans, but there was an understanding that I'm more than just a soccer player. When you talk about, I love the part of the book where you talked about even the Christmas dinner where you'd go all dressed in your finery, you would bring a change of clothes because everybody would end up in a park competing. I thought that was just an incredible piece of narrative. It just brings us back to that simpler life where, you know, the park and not parking people in front of a screen really was what they knitted a family together. Yeah. I mean, obviously for us, it was sports. It doesn't, have to be sports, but it's just the way my parents were raised, the way that I was raised. And I'm fortunate to have a ton of cousins. No matter what, no matter the occasion, we'd end up in at a park or in the back alley playing street hockey or we'd invent some game, just what our family did. And I laugh because I'm the brother of uh, with three sisters. When you describe Michael, who's three years older than you, at times we were, we'd be using our, you know, bats to play baseball. At other times we might be swinging at each other, but it sounded like you had a great, but very competitive relationship. Did he treat you as a little sister or if you were out in the playground, you were amongst equals? Yeah, I'd say it wasn't even equal. It was like, he'd pick on me more, but no, we had a great childhood Yes, you'd be playing one minute and the next minute you're ready to kill each other. And then 10 minutes later, you're back playing again. It's just, we're both competitive people. We're both athletic. And yeah, just naturally, sometimes it wasn't like pretty. <laughs> and how about when you started each, you know, developing, you know, and creating attention for your athletic abilities? Was there, how did that go over the dinner table? Was it teasing or was it mutual admiration? I'm just curious in a family that as tight as yours seems to be, does it ever get to the point where one tries to stand above the other? No, I mean, I can't remember exactly, but I just, I don't remember us talking about like our sports a lot 
at the dinner table, for instance. I mean, we're usually running from one practice to another, but uh, like I think of big family dinners and stuff. It was, No, it was never like, what is Christine doing in her soccer? No, it was never that. When you went to school and Michael went to school, there was, you know, a lot was placed on competition and succeeding and measurement. Today, it seems to be the school system's backing away from competition. It's more about everybody gets a medal for participating uh, there's even track meets at my niece's schools where they don't even measure time or how far you jump, just the fact that you tried it. Do, do you think that's a good thing or is that just a sign of the times? I have no idea if that is a good thing or not. I think for myself at times, it would have maybe been a little bit healthier to not always be competing to win um, just because I am that competitive person and so hard on myself. But then I don't know where my competitiveness would have been like fostered and grown. So, and as a student, could you sit still in class, or were you just sort of a little bit more unbridled that you really wanted to get out and take control of whatever situation you're in? Oh God, no! I no, I was good in school. I I sat and listened and did my work. No issues in sitting through whether it was elementary school, high school, university. And how did you manage to do it all, run from practice to practice and be a good student? How did you prioritize your life back then? What kind of lessons can you give to other people that are chasing many dreams at a young age? School was always first. Not even like bad grades. We didn't really get bad grades. It was just, we knew that if our schoolwork dropped, sports would be the one like we wouldn't be going to. Education was always high, number one. Um, and it continued through university. It obviously took some work, but I also wanted to do well at school. It went hand in hand. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Now Becky plays it through. It's Christine Sinclair with a chance on goal. And Sinclair moves one step closer to history. Something that I've been thinking about, obviously, for the past couple of years as the goals have sort of ticked away. And it's, yeah, it's just an honor to, to be on the top of that list. It's pretty cool. My guest today is the greatest of all time, and her record speaks for herself. No male or female on the planet has scored more international goals than Canada's own soccer star, Christine Sinclair. Were you motivated by, and because you talk about the role models that you're the matriarch and patriarch of your family, your grandparents, your parents, was it part of that was to please them or was it more internal motivation? Oh, for me, it was all me. They put no pressure on me um, besides getting a good education. I think my career, it's because of like internal motivation and a little bit of craziness. Growing up and listening to other parents potentially screaming from the stands, if your parents didn't have that kind of pressure, how did that make you feel in terms of how you were brought up versus others? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's more that I see now. Like I feel sorry for the kids now who's parents are like joysticking them through life. Because I think of the teams that I grew up on, we didn't have that. The parents, it was more of like a family-friendly place and environment where like the, the kids were friends, the parents were friends. It really felt like a safe place to like compete. And Roberto Alomar, you mentioned him earlier, and I was a huge Blue Jay fan as well and was part of that whole, you know, being in the stands and watching. Why him versus any other of the baseball players? I don't, uh, I mean, I was a huge Jays fan 
at the time, like I played competitive baseball, I played second base. So I think I just naturally gravitated to the player that played my position on my favorite team. When did soccer become your destiny? Because you were competitive in a lot of different sports. You're a very talented athlete. When did you realize that soccer might be something that you're going to pursue versus just play? Well, I think I say in the book, it was the first time I made a provincial team and the coach kind of sat me down and was like, if you keep this up, you'll make the national team at a young age. And that was kind of the first time for me that that even opportunity or that possibility was like told to me. I didn't know people on the national team. I didn't know really of the national team. So I think that was the first moment where it was like, oh, okay, really? This could be possible? Cool. <laughs> Did that change your focus or your priorities in terms of where you invested your time? Or was it just, that's interesting to know that I have that talent? I don't think it changed things right off the bat. I just continued to play because I love it and I love playing with my friends. I can't remember, but at some age, maybe I was 14 or 15, like I changed teams from playing with just my friends to a more competitive team an older team. Yeah, that was kind of the first time where I had made an adjustment and changed what I had been doing. A lot of people of that age would not make that choice. They prefer to stay with their friends and where they're comfortable and where they're having fun. You didn't. Any regrets? I mean, obviously it paid off in terms of your career, but a lot of people that have become elite athletes or elite in life sometimes say there's parts of my childhood I wish I, I, I could have reclaimed. Any of that with you or did you find a way to just kind of keep everything working? No, because I, I think for me what happened is I was playing up on a provincial team and so and playing my own age on a club team. And so when I switched teams... I just went up to the age I was playing on provincial teams. So I had friends on that team too. But that's also why I I made sure that certain things happened. Like I played high school soccer so I could have that experience, uh, high school basketball so I could have that experience. I mean, yes, there was an understanding that if a provincial team or anything like that ever overlapped, I'd be going to that. But I made sure that I did get to experience the high school life. That was very important to me as well. And one of the things that was happening at that time you talk about in your book was the 1999 cup that changed everything for women's soccer. What happened in 1999 that you feel really started to open up a path that women could be on a level playing field and create it and offer a game as exciting as the men? The 99 World Cup in the US, I think was like the moment for women's soccer. It's the moment that it changed from almost being non-existent to at the forefront. I was fortunate to be able to go down to Portland and watch a couple games. And that definitely inspired me. But just the women's game in general, that was kind of the launching pad for the U.S. team and uh, everything they've built since then. And all the other countries have sort of just followed in their in their footsteps. And it was the birth of the first professional league uh, in the U.S. I mean, the Rose Bowl was full for the final, I think like 90-something thousand fans. Um, I had my own Mia Hamm jersey. Women's soccer had arrived, and it wasn't going to go backwards. brings it down, still on it with the left foot, and the goal! And what was happening with your career at this time? I understand you were getting scouted quite a bit by U.S. colleges, hoping that you'd play for them? Yeah, I mean, I was just a young teenager, obviously going to tournaments on provincial teams and starting to be scouted to go to university. 
But then, yeah, I mean, literally six months after the World Cup in 99 ended, I was on the national team. So the new coach came in and gave me a chance. Who was the coach at the time? The new coach was Evan Pellerud. I have to believe that uh, if Evan was, uh, we're talking to Evan right now, he'd probably said it was the best, one of the best decisions he ever made was giving that young kid a chance. I don't know. (laughs) All the different universities, what made you choose one over another? Because there's a lot of people listening to this show that are really trying to determine their path in life. And I'm just curious, what factored into your decision-making to decide where are you going to play soccer and where are you going to get an education? It started with taking like a deep dive into me kind of what I was looking for in a school and would I be able to like travel to the east coast would I be okay playing on the east coast so I narrowed I narrowed it down to four schools so the University of Portland Yukon North Carolina and Nebraska and the North Carolina coach came up I didn't like him I went to Nebraska I couldn't picture myself living in Nebraska Clive Charles was a family friend at the University of Portland I have family down in Portland it felt the most comfortable for me. Clive was one of the best coaches I ever had. And he was the only university coach that approached like the athletes as people first and soccer players second. And then, yeah, University of Portland is a small school, obviously a powerhouse, but I knew I would fit in there. I'm going to shift in a minute to talk about really this calling of leveling the playfield. But just as we wrap up in career, it's almost impossible to wrap up. I mean, the top international goal scorer of all time. What would be on your highlight reel of all you've accomplished? Three Olympic medals, one of them gold. To win it for Canada! Canada came! Canada conquered! Canada gold at Tokyo! 2020. I think just maybe a role in helping change the sport in Canada and like being a part of the growth of the game and the, the shift of the game. And like, that's a big one for me. And then, if, yeah, I think the goals kind of speak for themselves. <laughs> you can't argue the math. That is quite something. I want to talk about the, um, you break the records that many thought would never be broken. And you wanted your mother there to celebrate it. And I know how important she was to you, but she'd been suffering for a while. And how did that impact you as an individual when she passed away and knowing that she wasn't there because of a pandemic to really see just what you accomplished? It was hard. My mom and my dad were my biggest fans and biggest supporters. And yeah, to not be able to share some of the highlights of my career with them kind of felt empty a bit, but I know they're like so proud of me. I have a very big family that is very supportive and have my back. And yeah, we've got gotten through a lot of tough times together, but I think deep down, I know I made them proud and that's, that's all as a kid. That's all. Yeah. You can ask for And What do you think now looking at your life and I'm going to talk a little bit about your nieces as well, but what do you think are the best lessons you got from them? Not, not just the obvious ones, you know, be good in school, but what are the ones that you kind of just every once in a while catch yourself and go, I can almost hear my dad talking through me or that was my mom that kind of made me think that way. Seeing them both battle and face, you know, some very serious health issues, uh, they taught me a lot of perspective. And I think that's partially why I'm like hesitant for the spotlight. Cause I, like I said, I play a game for a living and they taught me a lot of perspective of life 
the bad days that I have because I didn't win a soccer game. Like, there's bigger, more important things, you know, that we face. Hi, this is Tony Chapman in a moment. Christine Sinclair shifts the conversation from about her feats to why she loves her nieces. And she also talks about her least favorite thing. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Ideas matter. Ideas are the oxygen of human endeavor. They breathe life into how we work, live, and play. Ideas let us create and innovate and overcome complex and often challenging circumstances. Big or small, revolutionary or evolutionary, almost every positive step forward begins with a good idea. So bring your ideas to RBC because they matter, and they'll bring theirs because you matter. Ideas happen at RBC. This is a brand new era for girls to see women on on the stage. I just love how she's so kind and just her technique. I'm really inspired because she's one of those girls who just actually made it up to the top. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Christine Sinclair. There's no male or female on this planet that has scored more international goals than this Canadian phenom. What do you bring to your nieces? I mean, you, you talk about how much you love your nieces. I mean, what do you share with them, given that you're the, the aunt they love, but at the same time, you're this global celebrity? I love that they don't care that I play soccer. Um, like, they obviously know. They understand and, like, watch the gold medal game, and they think it's so cool, and they just want to hang out. They want to spend time with me. They want to... I'm just their crazy aunt and they're, you know, the amount of times they're like, if people only knew what you were really like. Um, <laughs> and I love that. I love that I'm just their auntie. It's one of my least favorite things. It's like when I'm in Vancouver with them and people stop me and like want to take a picture, I want to protect them. I hope I'm teaching them to be humble and to care about family first. Let's talk about your book. There's some great recaps of your incredible career and it is a memoir and I loved reading about it and just feeling how you must have felt with all those accomplishments. It's also a big shout out, not just to level the playing field, which I love because again, as I said to you, I'm a father of two daughters and brother of three sisters, but also a wake up call to Canada to start taking women's soccer a lot more seriously. Those are two fairly big causes. What's your hope that will happen when people read this book and hopefully digest it and take it? Have these conversations elevated at parliamentary level? Is it to have major sponsors recognize the opportunity? What do you, I know what the end game is, but what are you hoping is the path towards getting that level playing field? You know, honestly, I don't care what the path is as long as we get there. You know, Diana Matheson, a former teammate of mine, is like spearheading a charge to bring professional soccer here to Canada. I just know that things have to change, whether that's at a government level, whether that's sponsorships and investment, whether that's just like, you know what, some rich people taking a chance on women's sports. I don't know what the answer is. I just know that it's unacceptable that we have two professional leagues here for men and none for women. And I fear for the future of our sport in Canada um, in terms of national team and things like that, because... These other countries are just throwing so much money, so much support behind their professional teams, their national teams, things that we're not doing. You look at Spain, 
France, England. These teams are turning into powerhouses and will be for a long time. And I worry that we'll get passed by unless we, yeah, change something. And I want to now bring it to you because when I think of people of your caliber, the Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, or other athletes who have done so much and enjoy the game, I have to believe that they and possibly you there's some fear about retirement when the ability to compete is no longer there. I don't think there's a fear. When you become an athlete, you you realize that there's a shelf life to what you could do. So it's the thing that you're well aware of from day one. I think it's more like, what am I going to do next? You know, and staying involved in the game, whether it's coaching, whether it's trying to build a professional league here in Canada. It excites me to think about what's possible if I'm not having to train for like three hours every day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know it's just, it's going to be a different life. It's going to be, but it's just as exciting. And you're, you've really come across in your book and other interviews that I've, I've listened to and read about you that you truly are not only a gifted ath- athlete, but a gifted leader. You know, you're the kind of captain that people say, this is somebody I want to play for. Do you ever wonder how it's going to be when you go into the next phase of your life and you maybe aren't in control? You're more of an influencer, like as you said, maybe a, the offensive coach on the, on the soccer team, or I'm going to be part of a group of people bringing a team. Do you ever wonder how you're going to make that transition from being the shoulders that ever, that hold up a lot? to one of many pairs of shoulders? Well, I think my whole career, I've just been one of many. And I think like, yes, I wear an armband for my club team and national team, but it's not just me. I'm fortunate to be on teams that have plenty of leaders and everyone leads in their own way. And it's never just been on my shoulders, thank God. Um, So no, that doesn't really worry me at all. I think there's a reason why I chose a team sport. I love working with people. I love relying on people and building that connection. So no, I don't think that'll be a problem. And my last couple of questions I want to ask you is really advice because a lot of parents, and thankfully, because I think sports is so important to us, you know, encourage their, their children to participate in sports. What lessons can you offer them in terms of matching their their kids' athletic ability with the right coaches? And you talked about earlier that, you know, it's, they see a people first versus the soccer player. What are the other lessons that they should be looking at when they're thinking about what sports their children should play and in what kind of environment? I don't know. I'm not a parent. Um, For me, it's, I think, I think it's the role of the parent to put their kid in an environment that's healthy first and foremost and safe, um, especially with everything that's coming out uh, in like the past year. But I know from me, from my parents, it like, just don't put pressure on your kid. Your kid will figure it out. You know, if they have a good game or a bad game, they, the last thing they want to hear about are the mistakes they made or you could have done this. Like deep down, they just want to know that you like still love them and care for them and would do anything for them. Usually the athlete is hard enough on themselves and they just need support. But in terms of coaches, man, I don't have an answer for that because there are good ones, there are bad ones, and there's everything in between. As you talk about the future and you talk about leveling the playing field, I guess my question comes back to, would you ever consider politics? Would you ever consider 
taking your not only your celebrity but your the integrity of what you've accomplished over your career the humility that you've shown the fact that you can you know right away backstop and say you know I'm part of a team I'm not one person would you ever take that into to politics to try to create a positive movement where people would vote for somebody that's a real life example versus just rhetoric no <laughs> um I'm weirdly I weirdly am obsessed with politics <laughs> however I'm also um, distantly related to our current prime minister. Yeah, no, I'll have to say I'll pass on that one. I like the idea of fighting for change and trying to make Canada and the world a better place and a better place for the majority. But that just seems overwhelming to like enter into politics. I just want to leave you with my three lessons learned. The first one is just how important role models have been in your life and not only the way you describe your grandparents and your parents but some of the coaches that really and I love that expression when you know you thought of me as a pe- people first a soccer player second and I think how important it is for us to have mentors and role models and, and to go by it. the second thing is just your humility and I you know you're the greatest goal scorer of all time and anytime I kind of pushed you into talking about it it was always deflecting and talking about team and the circumstances around it so that that humility is something that I just think is just so special because I have to believe it's very hard to be humble when you're when you've accomplished everything you've accomplished and then the third one was just one that just a this great lesson in life for all of us not to joystick our people's lies and you know you made this statement about kids but I think joysticking in general let people figure things out let people enjoy the game don't put unnecessary pressure on and I think it's just fantastic lessons for parents pushing their kids into sports or education or the ballet and I think it's also great lessons in life as we go through life with our friends our families our bosses and our peers so for all of that and more I am such a fan and it's been such an honor to have you on uh, Chatter That Matters thank you for having me that was was awesome it's Chatter That Matters when I come back I invite two people who played soccer with Christine Sinclair Karina LeBlanc and Shannon Cole to talk about what makes Sink so special is this it? it is! Sinclair has done it! The Queen of the North! The Canadian sensation, Christine Sinclair! 7,260 days after her first, is now the all-time leading scorer in international soccer. The legend continues to grow, and a new standard set, a record made in Canada. Joining me now is another world-renowned player who's parlayed her skills into a general manager's role with Portland Toms FC, as well as creating her own foundation. She's a sought-after speaker, motivator, and one of Christine Sinclair's best friends. Karina LeBlanc, welcome to A Chatter That Matters. Well, thanks for having me. The uh, It always gets awkward when people talk about me, but I'm happy to shift it over to sync. <laughs> well, you can shift it to sync for a minute, but I really was impressed when I went to your site and realized that you're spending a lot of your time inspiring people to do their best and be their best. How did that come about? Yeah, it came about, I think I had the the absolute honor of playing for our country for 18 years. And I got a chance to see the world, but also see the blessings of what it means to be Canadian. And being an immigrant to our country, I moved here when I was eight. I realized how blessed I was to be here in this country. And then I remember John Herdman, who's overleading on the men's side, said to me, if you think your purpose on this earth is to kick a soccer ball for a country. I failed you. And I remember it just threw me. I was like, what does that mean? Like, I think 
when it comes to finding your purpose, you'll always get what you're looking for. And I ended up traveling overseas into a small town. I did a UNICEF trip. I became a UNICEF ambassador. And it was then I realized that this game was a platform for me and it helped me shape who I am, but it also helped me gave this drive that I want to impact people for the better. And Karina, coming up after you on the show is someone you know, Shannon Cole. Oh, I love that woman. Yeah, we, we go way back. This sport brings about, you go through the highs and the highs and the lows of the lows and you know, only you understand the sacrifices or your teammates understand the sacrifices because people see you standing on the podium or they see the glory. They see the defeat, but it's quick, but they don't know what it takes. And I think that's, that's that connection with, with players that that's when you say you talk about, you know, Shannon Cole, like I, you say her name and my, my heart smiles. Talking about Christine for a second now, how is she the world's greatest international goal scorer of all time. So I remember when uh, Sink came into national team camp, she was 16 years old and I was a goalkeeper. So I remember the ball was in the six yard box. And for those who are not football or soccer people, it was like pretty close in. And most people will just hammer it home past the goalkeeper. And she placed it at 16. The poise, the control. I was like, whoa, what, what was that? Right. And immediately I was like, she's special. And what's made Sink the greatest is, and I think this is where she's not talked about enough because she's been so humble in the journey. She's about the team. And as she's done it, she's like, I I can remember different games. If I remember 2012 when we played the U.S., like that was a turning point for our team because after we'd lost that game, we're like, oh God, we've let the country down. And the woman who has inspired and basically had the team on her shoulder who showed up and scored three of the most unbelievable goals against our biggest rivals on the biggest chain. It wasn't like, Hey, look what I did. It was like, okay, here we go. Here's another opportunity to inspire a a generation of people. And I remember going into my first Olympics, our goal was to win. We didn't win (laughs) our second vision clarity. And John Herdman led this, but again, you have the leadership of sync of like, we want to inspire a nation and the next generation. And when you have somebody who continues to perform at the highest level, and even when she gets there, she's like, okay, I want to perform at another high level. And she's setting the bar for herself, but she's not doing it alone. She's doing it of being like, hey, I need those around me. I think that's that's a definition of greatness that goes beyond just the goals that she scored for our country and, and set that bar. But it sets the example of how you can be a leader, how you can set the bar, how you can challenge yourself in everyday life. And you don't have to be a professional athlete. You can be just a human being being like, what can I get out of today? And what can I do better for tomorrow? And, you know, you talk about inspiring others. And I look at what you're doing now with your life. Two things she talks about in my interview in her book is one, leveling the playing field so that female athletes have the same field as their male counterparts. And two, getting professional soccer in Canada. How do we go about doing that? What's what's your piece of advice to all the Canadians listening? Why what she says matters? It's simple. We all play a role in making this game better in our country. Part of the responsibility has to be on everyone, right? It has to be on the sponsors. It has to be on the fans. It has to be on the younger generation saying, I want this. Because for us to truly be a soccer or football nation is we have to have the resources that help those in our country grow that help those in our country develop, that help those in our country see what is possible. And I know there's different people coming out, like Diana Matheson's doing a lot of work to, to get a professional league within our country. And I'm speaking to her about that. I think every former player is trying to figure out how can we help play a role in that. But it comes down to every single Canadian. 
saying, how can I play a role in this? Like, I don't need to leave it up to government. I don't need to leave it up to sponsors. I can go have a conversation at a dinner table and be like, how do we make this sport professional in our country? And what role do I play? It may mean that, like, do it and I'll buy the tickets. Joining me now is Shannon Cole, Vice President of Brand Marketing at RBC. Shannon, welcome uh, to the show. Thanks for having me. So I have to tell you a story that when I was on stage recently taking questions from the audience and somebody who was obviously a fan of the podcast asked me what I was most impressed about, what I learned the most. And I think I shocked him and I said, actually, having RBC as a sponsor, and I'll tell you why. When I first signed up with you, the ask from RBC was, do not make the show about us. Make it about these ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I thought that was really interesting for a brand willing to take a back seat, even though you were investing so much money. So I just a testament to what RBC is all about is I think that there's really something special about what you do out in the marketplace. So kudos to you. That's great. Thank you. And the other thing I said was over the 150 episodes, I've met people from across the country. They're always come in with such passion, but all great diversity. In your case, I'm doing a show on Christine Sinclair and I start creeping and learning more about you. You actually played soccer with Christine Sinclair. So what do you think makes a player like that? I mean, she clearly is one of the greatest of all time. What puts an athlete to that level versus just being one of many extremely talented ones? Her drive and her commitment to, to the game and her passion is like very well documented. Um, she's just almost like an iron woman. What blew me away, male or female, that I was most impressed with playing both with her and against her was she had this incredible, has this incredible first touch on the ball. It didn't matter the spin rate the ball was coming at, the speed, you know, if she was standing still or running at full speed, she just has an incredible command and first touch of the ball, which is a differentiator on the world stage. So one of the things that she's very passionate about now and still obviously with soccer is leveling the playing field for women in sports and beyond sports and also bringing professional soccer to Canada, letting women have that stage. How far away are we where we can look at each other and no longer talk about leveling the playing field, but just creating a level playing field? From our perspective, from our BC perspective, and as somebody who's in sponsorship and in brand marketing, I would say, you know, we do have a responsibility. We're, we're a major supporter of sport. And so it, it is our responsibility to promote diversity and inclusion with all of our brand initiatives. And that, that would include um, in sport. And I want to talk a little bit about your investment in sport because it extends beyond, you know, putting your logo on banners. Is this the right thing to do or is this something that you're doing because it's good for the brand? Well, I think the good news here is it's actually good for both. We look at something like RBC Training Ground. The whole premise of that program is to find and fund the next generation of Olympic athletes. And in some cases, that's in non-traditional ways. But to be able to find them, create an opportunity across Canada to showcase people's talent for free at accessible events, regardless of who they are and certainly regardless of their gender, that to us is a win both for the sports system and as brand marketers. And how important is it for the people that work at RBC? Because I'm finding now that when you have a higher purpose and just profit, it's one thing to just radiate it out to your clients and prospective clients, but it seems to have incredible magic in this world where everybody's talking about the great reset and the great resignation for people to say, I actually want to, I want to work for a company that cares. I mean, it's true. I think you have to 
be it on the inside before you can be it externally. And that's something that is important to our employees. We, we hear that time and again. And if you think about programs that they're proud of, things that we do in the community, both in marketing, but in citizenship, it's a part of our DNA. And it's, it's something our employees feel passionate about. And that's really at the heart of what we do is, is in the communities that we, that we live in, the, that we serve in. The last question I have for you, when you talked about, you know, diversity, one of the ways I like to use diversity is diversity of experiences. How important is it? And what advice can you give to both parents and young people that listen to the show on making sure that you put other things in your knapsack? In your case, it was soccer and sports, but just to round things out so that when you go into the world, You might chase one lane, but at the same time, you've got experiences that even within that lane that allow you to excel. Sure. I mean, sport's one example, but but certainly you're kind of learning the the building blocks of life and the foundational things that you need to achieve success along the way through things like sport and pursuing your passions. So for me, absolutely, my personal story is that that's about sports and it taught me about teamwork and cooperation and collaboration and tenacity and you name it any of those things you can add to your toolbox as you said um, serves you well in life later on even if it's beyond the the soccer field or the playing field playing service that you're on janet cole i really appreciate you coming on chatter that matters and i hope you'll join me again thanks for having me tony chatter that matters has been a presentation of rbc Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.